Hi there, I'm James Dapache, and this is Coffee and a Case Note. Team, derivative actions. We're going to today talk about derivative actions, which is when a member, uh, which we can describe loosely as a shareholder, is able to loosely stand in the shoes of the company and run a piece of litigation in the name of the company. Today's facts, we've got a company in litigation and one of the members of that company makes an application to run a derivative action. And the court says, tick, yeah, that's fine. Go ahead and run your derivative action. Go ahead and run that piece of litigation in the name of and standing in the shoes of the company. Fine. The member does that and the company loses. So the next thing the member does is appeal, okay? And it does so, he does so, I should say, accurately, in the name of the company. And as part of that appeal, at an interlocutory phase, he seeks two things. Firstly, he seeks a declaration that the original derivative suit approval, the original orders the court made that said, yes, it's okay for you to run some litigation in the company's name, applied not only to that piece of litigation, but also to the appeal, right? So firstly, he wanted an order saying the appeal is okay. Secondly, he wanted an order saying, look, if the original orders don't say the appeal is okay, can we now say that the appeal is okay? Does that make sense? So he's kicked off the appeal in the name of the company and is now making this application to say, uh, yeah, you've already said it's okay, or if you haven't, <laughs> please do so now. Okay. Now, while these proceedings are on foot, there is another decision handed down in the New South Wales Court of Appeal that says if a company's in liquidation, uh, there can be no derivative action pursuant to the Corporations Act. Any derivative action has to be pursuant to the court's inherent jurisdiction. And this might all sound a little bit fiddly and technical, and on one view it is, but don't worry, we'll understand it together. Um, no, sorry about that as well. It's actually rust. You can see it on my hands too. Anyway, sorry, sorry. There we are. We are talking about whether the court will go ahead on the basis of its inherent jurisdiction. Now, do you remember what this member's saying? The first thing the member says is, hey, the first time you said it was okay for me to run a derivative action, the first time you said it was okay for me to stand in the shoes of the company, that was for the first bit of litigation and also the appeal. And what the court said was, no, that's wrong. The reason the court said that was wrong is that in offering its approval in the first instance, the court looked really, really closely at what that first instance claim was and went through lots and lots of evidence, went through a really rigorous opinion from a senior barrister, went through uh, really rigorous pleadings, which is to say the originating process that kicks off a piece of litigation. And so the court had all this material to go, hmm, let's think about this and that and the other. And the idea that the court would have uh, also approved the appeal when back in that time it had no idea what the appeal was about is found to be wrong. It is found that the original approval 
related only to that first instance litigation, which the company lost, which means that our member then says, okay, if you're not saying the old approval related to an appeal, how about giving me some new approval to appeal? And what the court says is that in exercising its inherent jurisdiction to do that, it has to turn its mind to three things. Firstly, what is the foundation of the claim that the member wants the company to go and push? Is it a well-founded claim? Secondly, what's the attitude of the liquidator? What does the liquidator say about the litigation? Because remember, it is the liquidator who is, if we're using these loose terms, who is really standing in the shoes of the company at this stage. And then thirdly, are there any other practical considerations that arise? And so the court had to work its way through these three points when it was thinking, right, shall we grant uh, leave to this member to run a derivative action in the form of an appeal in the shoes of this company? On point one, what the court said was, well, there's not enough evidence here for us to form a view as to whether the appeal is well-founded. You simply haven't put enough evidence in front of us. There are some interlocutory uh, reasons for uh, orders being made that you haven't provided us. We don't know what the evidence is going to be. We don't know what the arguments are going to be. And so there's not enough here for us to form a view that it's a well-founded appeal. Secondly, the attitude of the liquidator. Well, the liquidator said, look, in theory, that's fine. Go ahead with the appeal. But the liquidator noted that the member owed an undischarged debt for $62,000 and was also the subject of bankruptcy proceedings that had been adjourned. So it was still an open question as to whether the member was himself going to be made bankrupt. And so the liquidator said, yeah, look, an appeal could be okay, but we're a little bit worried about uh, the standing of the member. And then thirdly, practical considerations. And practical considerations are things like what will happen to the liquidator if the proceedings goes ahead, what will happen to the company's estate, to the assets left in the company if the uh, derivative suit is approved pursuant to the court's inherent jurisdiction. So remember, on the first point, we found there was not enough evidence to form a view it was well-founded. On that second point, the liquidator was a bit worried about the member's financial circumstances. And on that third point, the practical considerations point, well, those financial circumstances we discussed with point two come back into play because the question arises, well, if I'm going to get an indemnity from someone who's going to be made bankrupt, how useful is that indemnity going to be? And in short, uh, the court uh, agreed with the degree of concern that arose from that and did not grant leave to the member to go ahead with a derivative action appeal from the derivative action first instance decision. That was a bit of a fiddly chat today, team, uh, punctuated by rust. Um, but I hope it was of value to you in any case. And I will look forward to chatting again soon with another coffee. So that's me looking at the coffee in the viewfinder and another case note. Cheers.